had been left when Jesus had ascended after his resurrection. There's about 120 of them had this familiar place that was where they gathered together. It was a room. See, this room was something actually you see characterized their lives for some time. You see, when Jesus was killed on the cross, we find they retreat to a room. We find that actually some of the disciples hear about Jesus' resurrection when they're in the room, and they, they leave the room to go and find out more about what's going on, and they go to the tomb and discover it's empty. We then find that they go back to the room, and we find there's a bunch of these believers hanging out in this room. And when they're in that room, we find that Jesus, suddenly with all the doors locked, because they're in total fear of what might happen to them, appears to them in the center of the room. It's an amazing moment where you've got Thomas, who is full of doubt. And Jesus appeared, and he kind of wanders in the room, probably making a cup of tea for someone else. And he comes in with a cup of tea, and he says, what are you talking about? And they say, Jesus, he's alive. And he says, I wouldn't believe that. I'd only believe that if I got to see him, touch him, let literally put my fingers in the holes. Everyone's going, class, a bit grim, a bit gruesome. And as he's saying that, Jesus, who's there resurrected, appears behind Thomas. And kind of taps him on the shoulder and says, Thomas. And Thomas spins around and is like, whoa! And Jesus says, go on then, touch the holes. And Thomas says, no, that's enough. <laughs> see, this room was a place of history. Stuff had happened. It's also a room that they get taught by Jesus. It says that Jesus was with him after his resurrection, just telling them about his kingdom, about what it looked like for his rule and reign to come now through earth because of his life, death, and resurrection. And then it says it gets to a point where he takes them out of the room, <laughs> takes them out of the room kind of five days previous to this, where he basically goes and takes them to a Mount, Mount Olive, and, and there he tells them that actually he's going to leave them now. And says, but he's leaving them in order that they'd run with the message of who he is and what he's done. But he says they're not to go out just willy-nilly. They're to wait. They're to wait in the city they've come from, Jerusalem, where they've been in this room. They're to wait in that city because Jesus is going to clothe them with power. It says in Acts 1 that he's literally going to baptize them in the Holy Spirit. In other words, he's going to overwhelm them with the Holy Spirit in order that they'd have power to run with the message that he'd left with them. Then we find that Jesus then ascends to heaven. Isn't it literally kind of goes rocket ship style, kind of up and into the atmosphere somewhere, literally disappears from their view in order that he goes to the realm where God is. Isn't it? He goes to some distant, far-flung galaxy. So he goes to the realm where God is. And the disciples are left there. And then these angelic hosts kind of appear to them and say, what are you doing looking at the sky? Get on with what Jesus has told you to do. And so what do they do? They go back to the room. And they go back to the room and there they start to just do what they can do. They pray, they talk, they discuss how can they restructure things because they need some more in leadership within them. And they do that until it gets to this point where they have gathered and they're in the room still. And in that room, they're waiting. See, I think for these disciples, this room had become a box. It was a room that meant so many different things to them. If you put the next slide up, you see it's a room that basically had history. It'd been all of these things I've talked to you about. It happened in this room. It's a room that actually spoke to them of insignificance, of who were they amongst this big city. 120 of them locked up in a room waiting for something they didn't know what. It was a room that 
was all about waiting. It was a room that was them questioning what was their purpose. It was a room that actually had also been about fear, a fear of what was going to happen to them. It was a room that was also about safety. Man, if we stay in the room, it's going to be all right. And what you find is actually in Acts that they keep going back to the room. Whenever they feel a bit unsafe, they get back in the room. You see, their room ended up being a bit like a box. And you see, those things that cause them to stay in the room, cause them to actually start to feel a bit boxed in in the room, are the same things that can actually cause us to be boxed in in our lives. You see, we can know this freedom that Jesus has given us, and we can know it up here, but actually the reality of what we live with can cause us to feel boxed in. It can cause us to feel boxed in because of our history. It can cause us to feel boxed in because of how we feel about ourselves, of, are we of significance at all. It causes us to feel boxed in where we feel like we're waiting. I don't know what it is you're waiting for. For some of us, we're waiting for healing. For others of us, we're waiting for a deep sense of purpose. For others of us, it's that waiting for a relationship. But we just know we're boxed in by waiting. For some of us, it's that purpose of what's my life ultimately about. It's, it's fear. We'll come back to that one in a moment. For some of us, the box that we live in just feels safe. And it just feels like, man, let's just stay here because to get out of it just feels unsafe. Sometimes the box that we live in is just this. It's the Christian huddle. It's nice. Sunday morning, man, you could go and watch cricket, but you kind of sat by yourself watching a slightly boring game. And we get to hang out in a room and like hang out together in a little huddle and say, I'm not alone, I'm here with you, and it feels safe. For me, my history is where I got boxed is fear. Now, for some of you know that about me. For some of you, you won't know about it, but, that about me. But for me, fear was what boxed me in. Like, I genuinely was someone who nurtured and matured what it was to live a lifestyle and a life that is completely governed by fear. Like, everything that I was about was all about what do others think of me and how can I go kind of as low profile as possible so that no one notices what I've got to say. But more than that, I continually live with what I would say was called the what-if scenario. I said everything I sought to do, be, or be a, kind of seek to be around was always at the back of my mind, what if I was to do that? And then I would allow myself to go to varying, completely crazy scenarios of what if could happen. As I don't know if you ever remember the old Pepsi Max app, kind of advert, and you say, Pepsi Max, what's the worst that can happen? And then you find a young guy in his locker's uh, room, kind of in the school, and he crack open his Pepsi, and suddenly the next minute he's naked, and he's thinking, man, why did this happen? He's like, Doc, uh, well, maybe it's Dr. Pepper rather than Pepsi Max. Dr. Pepper, I was just doing the tune. Dr. Pepper, what's the worst that can happen? Poof, I'm naked. No! Like, for me, I was genuinely the person that advert was based on. Not because I ended up naked lots of places, but because genuinely, <laughs> I thought, this is the scenario I'm facing, and this is what could happen. So I was known as, and this was still one solution, I got married. This is kind of what kind of governed most of our married life at the first kind of couple of years. I was known as the triple checker. What's the triple checker? Well, actually, it was a bit more than that. That's me being kind to myself. It's that in any scenario of anything needing to be checked or locked, I would go and 
lock it. So let's go for the front door. That's the easiest one to explain. Front door, lock, locked. Go down the stairs, because you lived in a first floor flat. Down to the bottom stairs. Oh, I wonder if I locked the door. Man, we owned nothing. We were like 22 and 21 when we got married. We, we just didn't really have many possessions. There was nothing in our flat worth nicking. But something in me would be like, oh, but what if someone went in there and stole all of the things we don't have? <laughs> and so I'd then go back up the stairs at that point and, and check the door. And I'd kind of give it a bit of a shove. And then I'd walk back down the stairs and think the door's checked, the door's locked. And I'd get to the end of the road and then I'd suddenly think, man, what if in me checking the door... I've somehow managed to cause the lock to unlock. <laughs> and in my mind, I think, that's illogical. That could not happen. Oh, but it could potentially happen. What if it did happen? And what if then in it doing, the door was open and someone didn't steal any of the possessions we have, but just was hanging in there, waiting for me to get home? I'd better go and check the door. So I'd then go from the end of my road and walk back. Check number two. <coughs> Bit of a kick. It's definitely locked. I'd then make it way down, going down the stairs, get down to the end of the road. I'd then think, what if I've just convinced myself that actually the door is locked? I've kicked it, pushed it, but actually it still wasn't locked. I kind of convinced myself that it was. I better go and check that it is. And so I'd go back a third time and check the door. Now, if Lucy was around me at this point, she'd basically get to the third time. I could go up to six, seven times. And Lucy would get to the third time saying, what are you doing? The door's locked. If it isn't locked, what's going to happen? What's the worst? And Lucy was my doctor. What's the worst that can happen? I said, someone steals all the stuff. We haven't got any stuff worth stealing. And if we did, does it really matter? What's the worst that can happen? I could die. Does that really matter? I guess not. <laughs> and so I lived boxed in by fear. For different ones of us, we're living at the moment knowing what it is to be boxed in. And for us, the most exciting piece of news is Acts 2, because just as these disciples were boxed in in their room, just as I was boxed in in fear, just as we can be boxed in in different ways, God doesn't want to leave us in that place. He doesn't want to leave us boxed in. He wants us to be broken out. He wants us to understand the reality of what Jesus has given us in the life that he offers and come by his spirit to bring the knowledge and the freedom that it brings. Which is why Acts 2 matters, which is why on Pentecost Sunday we make a big deal of it. Because just as Christmas is amazing that Jesus came on the earth, just as Easter is amazing that Jesus died and rose again, the Holy Spirit coming promises us that we live in a day and age that is like none other, that promises freedom and liberty. So Acts 2, 2 we get to. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house, not just the room, the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. Look at that. All of them, not like the special ones. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, because that's the city where the house was, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this crowd sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. See, what happened is the Holy Spirit comes on this bunch of people, 120 locked up in a room. By the end of the Holy Spirit coming, it doesn't say how it happens, it's just they're there, sat down in a room, 
something quite phenomenal happens in the room, actually in the whole house. Do you like my kind of sitting? I hope you're like liking that. It's starting to feel on my legs. But they're sitting in the room. The Spirit comes in this boxed-in scenario, sat down. And by the end of it, what we find is that suddenly the most amazing word that brings hope to all of us here as well as them there, that suddenly means that they end this bit no longer sitting in a room, but having been broken out of the room and they're on the street. On the street with others crowding around them. Others crowding around them because they can't help but praise who God is. Reveal who God is. And they do it in languages so that other people can understand what they're saying. See, they start off boxed in in a room. They end out on the streets talking about who God is. By the end of this chapter, we discover that actually 3,000 plus people out of what they see that's been done and transformed in this 120 are then added to this community to say, yeah, we want to live with this Jesus who died and rose again at the center of our lives. And we want this spirit that brings freedom. See, the spirit coming brought complete and utter breakout. And the spirit isn't to just do that back then. It's that God's wanting to come and break us out of the boxes that we're in. But the thing is, we can look at it and think, man, this is amazing. You know, you've got this bunch of people This weird thing happens, it seems like tongues of fire on everyone, all sat down, kind of like we are. The whole house is filled with the Spirit. The Spirit is kind of overwhelming every individual. Remember, that's what Jesus had promised, that it would be a baptism, literally a fully overwhelming experience of a bubbling up, a flowing over, just completely like in a water baptism where you're totally taken underwater. This is one that's happening of the whole of the Spirit. And then it completely transforms them. Now in it, we can look and say, well, how it transforms them, it seems to not be, as I said at the beginning, some sort of mystical experience. Think, wow, then the fire came. And it was like, whoa. And I was like, yeah. And then he was like, ooh. And it was just <laughs> this, this fire, mystical thing. No, no, what happens is this bunch of people who had been stuck in a room, it must have been pretty smelly. Come off it. Five days, 120 in the same room. Maybe someone making food every so often. They're kind of praying, sweating, kind of chatting, sweating, breaking out, going to sleep, sweating. It smelt in that room. You know, we can picture it. Oh, it's all nice, you know. 120 in a room. That'd be amazing. Uh, Imagine us in this room for the next five days. I don't think we'd be like, cool, this is amazing. (laughs) This is smelly. But they kind of break out. I shouldn't go off track because then I lose where I'm going to be going. But in this moment, see, we can look at it and say, man, they're broken out from the stinky room to this street. And whilst they're on the street, we suddenly see the reaction is that actually they're just proclaiming the wonder of who God is and people are responding to it. So that's what happens, but the key is how does it happen? See, it isn't just some sort of mystical experience where they kind of are carried away and think, all right, let's go to the street. There's something that happens of inward transformation. And to help us understand that, I want to briefly look at Romans 8, where Paul writes in verse 15 to 17, just what it means when the Spirit comes and overwhelms us. And he writes this, The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. 
See, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. See, the Spirit doesn't come so there can be that, ooh, ah, yeah, moment. The Spirit comes in order there will be an inward transformation. In order to be this moment where within the very core of our being, we realize that actually this isn't some sort of head knowledge. This isn't like a certificate of sign of saying, oh, Jesus, yeah, I can see he died. He rose again. I, he, he's like given me this life that proves me this freedom to be characterized by God's unconditional love. It sounds good. I've got the certificate. I'll show it to everyone else. I know I put a fish on the back of my car so everyone knows. No, it's, it's about this moment where within that, the spirit comes alive within us with our spirit in order that we know what we know here is the reason reality of what our life is all about. So what the Spirit comes and does isn't some sort of kind of funny feeling. It's in order to be in the very core of who we are. That's what the Bible means when it talks about our spirit, the very core of who we are as an individual, that we know we're the children of God. I'll tell you what, that fundamentally changes everything. To know that we're not just relating to a deity who's distant, but we're relating to a deity who loves us. That's what it means to be children of God. Man, children aren't meant to be like a nuisance. Children aren't meant to be kind of something that was planned by a parent for, well, you know, they can pay for me when I'm old. The point of a child is it's a demonstration of a couple's love. And then it's then these, these parents who then give themselves an expression of their love. That's what we're meant to see in the natural. I know that different ones of us can have varying experiences of that. But God, as one who wants to be our parent, actually wants to do it in order that we know what it is to be truly loved. To be loved unconditionally. To be accepted unconditionally. That's the point when the Spirit comes and says, we know in the very core of our being, we're loved. We're accepted. And as such, it causes us to change how we relate to God. We relate to God as it says here, as Paul writes, not just as God. God can feel so distant, but as Father as Abba, as our dad. We come in this incredibly relationally rich way of a God who creates everything, a God that's spoken of in Scripture that where the nations are like a drop in the bucket to him, who we're told hung the stars into space, who comes and said, I don't want you to hang on the edge. I want you to come and know me as your father, a father who desires the best for you. The Spirit comes within us in order that as we receive and understand and explore and experience the spirit within us it causes us as Paul writes just cry father she realized it isn't just God this is relationship I'm caught up in but it's not just that we relate to God as a father so to say this throwaway thing that suddenly the spirit allows us to know that Jesus is our brother it's not just our savior he's our brother but he's a king brother which means that he's an heir. He's an heir to everything that God's going to give him. And what's God going to give him? The whole of the earth. The whole of the earth and everything in it. More than that, he's going to subdue the whole of the universe to Jesus. And the Father's going to say, here you go, well done. And what Paul's writing here is the Spirit comes within us and says, actually, you're not just to relate to God as a father. You're now to know that you've got this pretty cool brother A pretty cool brother who actually says, actually, don't just watch what I'm doing. Actually, now come and be part of it. 
You don't kind of watch them. Man, look at all he gets. All I got is this. No, no, he says, Jesus says, come on with me. This is ours. The Spirit comes alive in us in order that we know that we are heirs, shared inheritance with Jesus. Now, we haven't got time to like keep plumbing the depths of this. We should do, shouldn't we? Let's do that another Sunday. Yeah? But this, just allow that, just for a moment, let's just pause. Let's just allow that to, to sink in. Man, surely it was enough that Jesus died for us and caused everything that we'd done that was rubbish to be dealt with in order that we could present it as fully right before God. Surely it was enough that all of the stuff that I feel shame about that Jesus comes and allows me to be guilt-free. Surely it was enough that I'd know that I'm loved. And it because God is one who is abundant in goodness, it says on it wasn't enough. I want you to share everything I'm going to give to Jesus. Man, that's what the Spirit does. He comes alive within us. See, the Spirit wants to come and break us out of boxes, just as like he did with those Acts community. And when the Spirit comes and does that, he breaks us out of our boxes because it suddenly allows us to understand our true identity. We suddenly know within the very core of our being, man, I'm not just any old person. I'm one who's loved by the creator of everything, unconditionally, accepted unconditionally. That allows me to know I'm one who's now an heir with Jesus to everything. That's my identity. My identity, Adrian Hurst, isn't that I lead a church, isn't that I'm a husband to an amazing woman, Lucy, isn't that I've got three fantastic children. My identity is in the fact that I'm known by God and loved by him, and he's my father. That's the point that within it, it then allows us, the spirit comes with us and says, oh, and you want purpose? I've got purpose for you. We see it in those Acts community. What happens? They immediately understand their identity in God. They can't help but spill out of the room. We can't contain this here. Let's get out of the room. We've got to get out on the street. What are we going to do once we're out on the street? I don't know. Let's just start praising God. Praising our Father because we realize how amazing he is. Our purpose now is to praise him and reveal him wherever we go. And with it, we find that they're not even worried they're on the street. It isn't, you kind of wonder whether they've got a point and they're there and they've suddenly realized, man, I'm speaking a language I don't even know. And see, people seem to understand it. And then at some point, you get time to read it. Peter steps forward and says, hey, let me explain what's going on. At some point, no one said, nudge, nudge, we're out of the room. What are we doing? Come on, get Peter. He's a bit overexcitable. Let's get back in the room because that's where the stuff is. No, there was this point at which they realized they were now on the street. They were free, had total freedom to enjoy all that God is and all that God had done within them. That The Holy Spirit was now wherever they were and they weren't going back to the room. They were going to keep going out. And the story of Acts is actually this breakout story of let's get out of the room, let's get out of the room, let's get out of the room. There's freedom for them for everywhere. And the same is true for us. The same is true for us that we get to know through the Spirit coming alive with us, this deep sense of identity, this deep sense of purpose, this deep sense of freedom everywhere and everything. So I go back and I tell you about fear. And I say, oh, I used to live and just live with what ifs. But I don't anymore. I don't live boxed in by fear anymore. Why is that? Is it the power of positive thinking? 
No, I tried that and it didn't really work. What it was the power of is God's spirit within me and me realizing that actually God's spirit within me allows me to know that I have freedom. Freedom that allows me to understand that I'm loved by God and God's perfect love drives out all fear. Which then meant I lived with decisions. That's where it roots down to. The spirit is alive in me. He's wanting to lead me, but I still, I'm not a robot. It isn't like, oh, the spirit's on me. Woo, I'm going to go like this. I'm going to go over here because I'm not scared anymore. Because spirit, no, I'm still going to make decisions. I'm not like some kind of puppet kind of robot. That's not it. It's that literally you face decisions. And so I'd face them. And it would be like, right, okay, what are you going to do at this point, Adrian? Are you going to trust in who God is? And receive his spirit to kind of trust him and trust in the fact you love. Or are you going to make a decision to say, what if? And you kind of know where that one goes. Where that one goes is despair. And so what I did is one decision at a time. I said, God, would you give me the power to live this one? And what happens is, over time, the decisions become easier. Can I still decide to fear? Telling me I can. If I'm tired and I feel a bit kind of... "Mm," I'm sure none of you feel that. It's a, it's a new type of emotion. It's kind of, it's a, and it's a very particular one for me, and I'm feeling a bit, and when I'm in that place, I know that I'm susceptible to fear. And I know in that place that I suddenly need to lose sight of my identity, suddenly lose sight of, man, the spirit of God is inside me. And I start to get consumed, consumed by who I am, who I think I should be, what I'm doing. And in those moments, I can subtly start to see, oh, I'm checking the door. <laughs> Why on earth are you checking the car door, Adrian? Man, no one's going to nick your car. <laughs> and if they do, <gasps> you'd have to walk home. And so I go there, I'm checking the car, thinking, oh no, I don't want to live that way anymore. I want to live thinking, who cares about cars? I'm loved by God. So I come and just rest in the spirit at work in me. God wants to come and break us out of boxes. But the thing is, I could leave it there. But the thing is, there is another box. See, there's the boxes that we live in. And there's the box that we can put God in. You see, there's a big danger. Sorry, it's got OKC puppets. Let's leave that on there. There's a big danger with the box is that we kind of think, oh, yeah, I want to be broken out. I mean, where it's going to happen is when I gather here in this place, in these moments where I'm with the Christian community, and in the Christian community, it all feels all right. And that's the moments where we can expect God's power to come and freedom to be given. And we think, there it's there. And then we've got the rest of our lives where we kind of think, man, I can't wait to get back to that place. But the point of the box is this, that when God broke in and broke the disciples out of the room and into the street, it was a proclamation that God was no longer going to meet people in rooms. The Old Testament is full of God meeting people in tents and then in a room, a very specific room in one location in the whole of the planet. The point of Jesus coming saying, I'm going to come and renew your lives in order that God can come and dwell within you. In order the Spirit would be present within us everywhere in everything. So we wouldn't ever need one place to go, one nation to visit, to see the special encounter of God. Why? Because God wants to encounter us wherever we are. So we say goodbye to boxes in every shape that they can take because the Holy Spirit wants to come and be ignited within us wherever we are. So I get to hear this amazing story. A friend of mine, Richard, his wife is quite senior in a big London firm, works within systems. She gets to hear about this issue, a big system they designed and 
there's this big fault that was happening. There was over 100 different files within the program. I don't really understand computers, so I just nodded as he told me. I'm just repeating what he said. And he said, there's 100 different files, locations, where this problem could be. People take three weeks to try and find it. They can't find it. They finally go to their boss, which is this lady, and they say, can you help? Do you know what she did? She gets the problem. She gets the program, and she prays. And she says, God, would you show me where the problem is? And so God then shows her the program where the problem is. And so she finds the file, opens it, it says, there's the problem. They say, wow, how did you find that? She says, I prayed and God showed me. <laughs> a month later, another problem. Another problem with a big program they've got going. Someone hears the story of what happened last time. So they go to her again and say, hey, here you can find problems. Can you find this one? So what does she do? She doesn't think, oh, yeah, I can do this. Just give me five minutes. No, she prays. She says, God, would you show me where the problem is? So the Holy Spirit speaks to her and says, oh, it's there. So she finds it and says, oh, it's in this file. They open it and sure enough, there's the problem. They're able to fix it. A month after that, rumors are spreading. <laughs> this guy comes up to her and says, we've been looking for this problem. We can't find it. We don't want to spend any more time about it. I've heard your God can do something about it. Why don't you pray? <laughs> she prays. And gets God to tell her. God shows her where the problem is in a file. We can look at that thing. What? God's showing where errors are in computer systems. Surely you should be doing something else. Oh, no, no, no. This is the God that's broken out. He's not the God who wants to be contained in Christian huddles. He's the God who wants to transform the whole of our planet. That's what Jesus came in to do. Died on a cross, rose again and said, now I'm going to finish the job. I'm going to transform everything one life at a time through people who follow and center themselves on me. So the Holy Spirit comes in order that we be broken out. Broken out of the boxes we can place ourselves in and break God out of the box that we can place him in. So we finish about the time I thought we would in order that we can get to this point and ask the question, free. Are we free? Are we free to receive? For some of us, we just recognize, man, it's kind of gone a bit over our heads. We think, man, you talked about the Holy Spirit. I'm still trying to work out who Jesus is. For us, my biggest plea to you is to understand that Jesus promises you life and life in the full, a life of complete freedom, and a spirit that then comes alongside that brings the reality of it. And for some of us, it's the understanding that it's as simple as just saying, I receive Jesus, what you've got to offer. For some of us, it's actually that we need to be free from boxed up living. Now with that, what I'm not saying is that in this moment, for some, it's going to be total transformation. Suddenly we're like, all right, totally fine. It's completely transformed. Because we know, like me, how we live boxed in is so much part of our character. It's going to be through one decision at the time of us actually leaving and understanding God's spirit is at work in me, allowing me to decide to not choose to live that way anymore. But for us today, is therefore about saying, God, I draw a line in the ground now and say, I don't want to live in this box any longer. And I ask, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you give me the power and the ability to understand that I don't need to? For some of us, it will be that actually the box we're living in, we just think, man, I just need to get rid of this. And the Holy Spirit's going to come and say, actually, yeah, let's just let's get rid of it. Let's just live in the knowledge of the love that, we, that we're those that are loved by God. And suddenly, going from a religion... I was saying, I better please God. It suddenly realized it's a relationship. Where I just love God because he loved me and I know it within me. 
that for many of us, it's going to be that we understand the Spirit comes not for holy huddle moments, but for who we are in our homes, our communities, our workplaces, our recovery, our parenting, our looking after elderly parents, that we have the Spirit who wants to empower us to live this life of freedom in order that we reveal God and praise Him wherever we go. So, where we get to then is it's over to God, isn't it? It's kind of say, God, would you come then? And would you come and meet with us? And how we can do that is the band is just going to come up and just so I speak so they'll move. Because they'll feel slightly nervous so no one look at them. And they'll move things around behind me and I'll talk so you can still focus on me. But as they're coming, I just think sometimes it can just be helpful. Just in an individual way, though we're here together, just to use a song to still ourselves. To use a song to allow our hearts to speak and say, God, this is where I'm at. And we're just going to use a song to just say, God, I come to you. And say, Jesus, I love you. And in that place, what we'll do is after we've spent some time just worshipping God, I'll then step in and then say, well, let's now spend some time just receiving from God. That God longs to come by his Holy Spirit to overwhelm us, to well up from within, to come up upon us in order that we'd live box free. So should we stand? And Chris and Sinead are just going to lead us in singing.